our conversation this summer is something really fun that we've decided that we wanted to do. Um, and the goal, the goal is twofold this summer. We're in the middle of a conversation series um, called Everything is Holy. And, and the goal is to help us see, we might say normal life, but help us see various elements of our lives through the lens of our discipleship that we might not always look at. So to say, we looked at what does it mean to see our, our food and our eating as holy? What does that look like? Last week we looked at aging. What does it mean to view aging, which the, often the culture around us complains a lot about and just says, you know, it, getting old just sucks. And we say, actually, there's such beauty if we do it with Jesus and such wisdom and so many things. And so you heard from Rob and Cammie, which brings us to the next idea, which is, uh, in addition to helping us see all of life through a different lens, we also, uh, the goal is to expose our, our church to more voices, um, more perspectives that we have. There's so much wisdom here um, and within our network. And so you're going to do that today, so I'm, I'm gonna, um, happy to, to have somebody else be, be sharing this morning. Um, someone I know very well. Come on up, Doug. This is Doug Miller. Uh, we share a last name because uh, we share a family. So this is my father. Uh, and uh, my parents, Doug and Dar, have been a part of the Life Path journey for many years. Since before the beginning, um, they've heard all of the things 11 years ago when it was just a, an idea, um, all the way till, till now. And so they've been around a lot, but they live in central Pennsylvania. And so uh, they're not here weekly because they're a couple hours away, but they love to, to join us. And they've uh, been a part of a number of things as a church that we have. But the reason that I asked uh, my father to share this morning is because of, of the lesser reason is that he's a career exercise physiologist. And so he's been a, a professor at Messiah until he retired two years ago uh, for many, many years, four decades. And, um, and during that time, so he's an expert on the body. He's an expert on the body. But within that, he's gone many, uh, many layers and levels deeper by exploring what the body and discipleship of following Jesus have, have to do with each other. And so this week, when we were talking about our series, and we said, well, we want to talk about how our bodies are holy. Immediately, he came to mind. And so um, I've invited him to share and give some different insight. You all hear me a lot. And if you haven't, don't worry, you will. Um, as the weeks go by, so I'm happy to have other wisdom um, come and, and share. So, yeah, I'll just, uh, okay. I'll just let you take it away. So, okay. thanks, Dad. Thanks. It is a privilege to be here this morning to continue the conversation on holiness and particularly talk, to talk about this topic. And I do want you to know that this could be a summer venture talking about this topic and should we think about our bodies as being holy, but we'll condense it uh, to, to one morning's discussion. And I have fought the temptation to give you my highlights, physiology lectures, so that you could just sit there and marvel at this amazing creation that we've been given. So I'm not going to go that direction. You sort of have to trust me on that one, and we're going to look more into this idea of maybe a perspective that considers the body to be holy. I do want to start off by saying it's a real privilege for Dar and I to call Life Path our home church away from home. Uh, just what a joy to worship with you this morning, and I might add to sing in Spanish. 
we just love worshiping here. If it wasn't a two-hour drive, we would be here more often, but uh, we just are, are thrilled to get to know some of you and to be here this morning. Well, our goal this morning is to take a closer look at this, might I say, love-hate relationship that many of us have with our bodies. And the question might be, when we're into a session on holiness, why would we take time on us? on a Sunday morning gathering to talk about our bodies? And I think it's a good question, but I have a pretty simple answer, and that is that when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus seemed to care about the physical body. We see this certainly in his miracles, and many of those miracles came without deep scriptural lessons. We're told they were simply because Jesus was moved by compassion, And he healed somebody and they went on their way. And I'm thinking, Jesus, you forgot to tell them the three steps of spiritual life. And you forgot to tell them that you're the son of God. All you said was get up and walk. You know, I care more about their spiritual life than Jesus did, right? I'm struck by the fact that so often Jesus just seemed to care about the physical body. We see it in his care for the hunger, right? In the crowds that were following him. He brought it up. You know, that we need to find a way to feed these individuals. I also am struck by Matthew 25 when Jesus is describing the people who will inherit the kingdom. And his disciples are a little bit surprised um, when he says, these are the ones who are blessed by the Father. And who are these people? How does Jesus describe them? He says there's peop- these are the people who are providing food, are providing drink, are providing shelter, are providing clothes, and are providing health care. Those all seem to be body-oriented services. But if we're honest and we think about our attitudes towards these bodies... I think we admit that we would admit that many Christians do a better job of caring for the bodies of others than they do caring for their own. And I understand that. Sometimes caring for our own body can feel selfish, while caring for someone else always feels selfless. So we so quickly move that direction. But I'm going to suggest this morning that caring for one's own body is a loving act. I believe it's a loving act to God. I definitely believe it's a loving act to your family. It's a loving act to those that God's calling you to serve in this world. And here we go. It's a loving act to yourself. We'll unpack that just a little bit. I want to start off by um, Dallas Willard who is a uh, philosophy professor and theologian that perhaps some of you have read a little bit about, a number of books that Dallas Willard has written. In one of his titled Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard suggests that the body lies right at the center of our spiritual life. In fact, he considers later in that chapter, he considers it to be the primary barrier for many Christians to conformity in Christ. 
the primary barrier. We're not going to unpack exactly why Dallas Willard feels that way, but it's instructive to begin with that. In Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes that we are to keep our spirits, souls, and bodies blameless. And in Ephesians, he reminds us that imitating Christ involves the regeneration of our minds, bodies, and souls. And then in Romans 12, 1, get used to doing this here. Romans 12, 1, Paul makes it so clear, it's really hard to miss. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's a great phrase. Why? In view of God's mercy. Your body is an act of God's mercy. We want to see it that way more often than we sometimes do. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. End of story, right? Well, not quite. Not quite. Some of you have heard about the problem with a living sacrifice. It keeps crawling off the altar, right? Yeah. The greater issue is what in the world does a living sacrifice mean? Thanks, Paul, but like, can you be a little more specific, right? What does it look like? Wow. Such a broad stroke of the brush obscures some of the complexity of the underlying layers where each of us live each day. And so at the end of the day, we're still left with a lot of questions about what it means to see these bodies as holy and pleasing to God. Okay? Did I get that on the... I don't know where the rest of that one went. But anyway, it'll come up. <clears throat> All right. So this complexity, the fact that the Bible seldom addresses some of the questions that we might actually have from day to day has resulted in some confusing messages, I believe, about these bodies. On Sundays, we're often reminded that only godliness has value for this age and the age to come, and that we're supposed to keep our mind focused on things above. And that's all true. That's good. But here's what I've noticed. That can result, that message alone can result in the faithful sometimes living as though they are souls that just happen to have bodies attached. But then when we leave church and we enter into our work world and we associate with others, We get a very different message about these bodies sometimes from Christians. The message changes a bit with Christian diet plans, with titles like Bod for God, Hallelujah, Slim for Him, Take Back Your Temple, Tune the Temple, and my favorite Slim sister. (laughs) These diet plans, these Christian diet plans, all implore us to lose our extra fat for God. 
Shaping our bodies becomes our new act of worship. And holiness becomes synonymous with the temple's appearance. And now the faithful find themselves on the opposite end of the spectrum, frequently living as though they are bodies that just happen to have souls attached. I think a biblical theology of the body lies somewhere between those two extremes. It integrates a knowledge of the human body with a knowledge of God's Word. It's a tricky balance for sure. Honoring God with these bodies while not mistaking the vessel for the treasure. So how do we get there? Well, first, I'm going to suggest that we move from an appearance perspective to a health perspective. And let's talk about this appearance perspective for just a couple of minutes. The Bible actually brings significant warning to those who prioritize outward physical appearance. When Jesus says, woe to you who clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. We actually know what he's talking about. We understand that message because we know that a life obsessed with physical appearance quickly becomes a life of self-indulgence. But the warnings continue in the Bible. The prophet of Ezekiel wrote these words about Jerusalem. You grew exceedingly beautiful, fit to be a queen, but you trusted in your beauty, and you used your fame to become a prostitute. You trusted in your beauty. Later, Ezekiel is rambling on and on about the beauty of Tyre. Tyre was an ancient Mediterranean city that had become wealthy beyond imagination, but had also become incredibly corrupt and was heavily involved in the slave trade using the Hebrews from Jerusalem and Judah as those slaves. For several chapters, Ezekiel uses language of physical beauty to describe Tyre, this city. And then comes this scathing conclusion. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. You were in love with yourself, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Ouch. A perspective on the body that prioritizes appearance can lead to pride, arrogance, and idolatry, and it becomes a barrier to wise thinking. I'll give you one personal example of this. I've discovered that the more I judge myself by my appearance, the more likely, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? The more likely I am to judge others by theirs. Not a real Christ-like attitude. Perhaps Jesus' simple question 
keeps us grounded here? And it's, it's a simple question. He just simply says, is not the body more than clothes? Almost like, duh, right? So obvious. But sometimes, you know, we fall into the trap of living as though the body is not really more than clothes. Is not the body more than clothes. So our first step in moving towards a holy perspective of these bodies is to care for them in ways that move us towards health. And I have a real simple. My, my field is applied health science, and you'd think I'd have a more elaborate definition of health. And my seniors in senior seminar are real thrilled that it's simple because they have to write a paper on this, and they say it's the most difficult paper they've ever written, right? As a drive to thrive. That's about as helpful probably as what Paul said, right? Living sacrifice. But there's a lot there. Simply think of health as a drive to thrive. Because actually what it means for each of us to thrive is a little bit different based on our circumstances, based on our life, based on our background, based on our goals for the future. Ashley Moyes was one of my former students at Messiah. He's become a Christian bioethicist, and he just completed an assignment at Oxford University. He's written a couple of books. And I wanted to share a phrase that he has used that I find really helpful. And he believes that we are called to exercise the will to be healthy. He says to will health. That's our responsibility. And the reason I like that is because this definition can apply in the midst of sickness, even when I'm sick, even if I've been diagnosed with a chronic illness, a chronic disease, I can still will health. And I can still engage in the behaviors that are available to me that are likely to help me thrive in life. So it seems to apply across the board. Now, it doesn't answer all the questions that we might each have, and of course, that's going to be something that each of us will have to do, but it's a good starting point. So Keith mentioned that my background academically is as an exercise physiologist. And through the years, I have marveled many times. And I come home and share it with Dar, and it's like, wow, through my, uh, especially my doctoral work, um, at, at how these bodies function in ways that most of us never know and certainly take for granted. But most of us never know what happens. We only really become aware of our bodies sometimes when something goes wrong. And you know what? Your bodies function perhaps more amazingly when something goes wrong than when it doesn't. I know that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, but you wouldn't believe what that triggers to keep you functioning for a while. And in fact, the body is so good at recovering or adapting to things that go wrong that many times we don't know something is wrong until it's kind of late because the body has done such a fantastic job of allowing you to still function and I think possibly even thrive. And that's why doctors want us to do those regular checkups because the body can hide issues that we probably should be more aware about. 
Well, anyway, many of us would agree with the psalmist that in one way or another, these bodies were knit together by God or woven together by God. However you, however you see that, there's something that makes us feel these bodies were intentionally designed by God. Well, I want to tell you that science is clear about something else regarding these bodies. I believe that they came from God. I know for sure that they are impacted by decisions you make every single day. That is absolutely clear. So we kind of like been given this gift, but this gift is able to be influenced by what we do with it. Okay? Um, For example, you would expect me to probably highlight this one. They function better and more efficiently with use. And they deteriorate more rapidly with disuse. Overwhelming research suggests that at the most basic cellular level, these bodies were designed to move when they are capable of doing so. So willing health, back to our definition, is simply engaging in behaviors available to us that help us thrive. Well, I mentioned earlier scripture that refers to the regeneration of body, mind, and spirit, the three entities that make us human and make us created in the image of God. Well, we're discovering ways that these three are interrelated. That's just fascinating, body, mind, and spirit. And a drive to thrive does need to encompass all three. It needs to care about all three, body, mind, and spirit. Thomas Merton was a monk, a writer, and uh, a theologian and a social activist. And he once said this to God, I pray better to you by walking than by talking. Now, a lot of what I'm sharing this morning is sort of in general, and you'll have to make the specific applications. I look so forward to the times at the end of these gatherings where you get to share some of the things that, that you're thinking about. But before we move on, I'm going to be very specific about one suggestion. I would like to encourage you to consider adding prayer walking to your weekly routine. I am here to tell you that it encompasses body, mind, and spirit in a fascinating way. We actually have the scientific tools now to look at what's happening in the brain when people do activities, including prayer walking. And I started doing this, and I have done this for quite some time, and it has made a significant difference in my life. And so that's one specific thing that I'm just going to challenge you to think about doing. All right, so this call to will health, move away from an appearance towards a health perspective, but unfortunately, like everything else, it comes with a little bit of a warning. As we will health in our life, we must guard against that pursuit becoming absolute or idolized in our life. It was uh, May 22nd, 2018. The heart catheterization a few weeks earlier had brought back the worst of news. There were a number of things that could have shown up on that heart catheterization. And now in a few hours, I would be undergoing quadruple coronary artery bypass. 25 years earlier, (laughs) as a young exercise physiologist, 
I made some connections with some physicians out there and had the opportunity to stand right beside a doctor performing open-heart surgery. I was close enough I could have reached out and touched. I thought I would be up in a room somewhere. He said, Doug, get scrubbed. I was like, what do you mean get scrubbed? <laughs> I showered this morning. He says, no, get scrubbed in. You're right here. You're beside me. It's like, I did not ask for this, but this is incredible. Could have reached out and touched those diseased coronary arteries. <clears throat> Never did I expect that one day I would be on that table. I had run all my life, completed six marathons. I don't do ultra marathons like some people. <clears throat> I'd studied the human body for a living. I had taught courses on cardiovascular physiology, including the four stages of cardiac rehab. So I knew what I was heading into. <clears throat> I was the employee wellness director at Messiah College, which meant that I wrote a monthly newsletter. I hosted monthly workshops. I had even started meditating two years earlier as both sort of a physical and a spiritual discipline that I just thought something might be missing, and I wanted to do that. For 38 years, I had helped students and employees marvel at this gift that we've been given. Now, now I just felt betrayed by this masterpiece of creation. <clears throat> but I was wrong. Through the years, I had grown dangerously close to acting as though the vessel was the treasure, even though I knew better. It's a temptation. Paul addresses it head on in 2 Corinthians 4, and I understand that you looked at this verse, I think last week a little bit, when the emphasis was on aging, and it's perfect in that context as well. But this is going to lead us into my second point about considering these bodies holy. <clears throat> I'll put it up here. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But <laughs> we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. So let's back up just a little bit. Exactly what treasure are we talking about? The light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You need to hear that again. The light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's the treasure hiding in that body of yours. Wow. Do we need to know anything else to consider these bodies holy? The light of God? The face of Christ. It's from God. Okay? This treasure is from God, not us. 
And once again, I don't want you to miss this relationship between body, mind, and soul and how they're connected. But, but it's easy to miss it here. As the body decays, his power is more clearly seen. Body, mind, and soul. The body decays, his power is more clearly seen. At least that's, that's the intent. That's the goal, right? Our wasting away paves for us to be renewed each day. Wow, I just need to keep reminding myself this. Our wasting away paves the way for me to be renewed each day is what we're told. And then finally, when what is seen, <laughs> okay, what we can see, our bodies, when what is seen reminds us of our mortality, and as you get older, <laughs> it reminds us of our mortality more and more frequently. When what is seen reminds us of our mortality, we are compelled to fix our eyes on what is unseen. What a fascinating relationship between body, mind, and spirit. And I'm grateful for that. In the midst of his battle with Parkinson's, my once very active Uncle Lane Hostetter told me when I asked him one day, so Lane, how are you doing? He said, Doug, I've been prepared. He was also a pastor. He said, Doug, I've been prepared for death all my life. And then with a little twinkle in his eye, he looked at me and he said, but I was not prepared for the decaying process. And I knew it was hard, very hard. And then he said this, but I've had more time than ever in my life to pray for others. <laughs> I thought, there it is. Wow, good for you. But that's because of his perspective, right? But he was able to see this relationship, and it reminded me of, of this verse. So number two, step number two. Let's put it up here. In moving towards a holy perspective on the body is to allow the body's mortality, weakness, imperfections, wherever you want to go with that, to reveal God's glory in us. That's a perspective that we have to have if our perspective is going to be holy. Although theologians have uh, debated for centuries the nature of Paul's thorn in the flesh, I would not be surprised if it was a very physical affliction. After being beaten with rods and stoned, not a lot of people survive stoning. Paul's body would have been battered and scarred. And it's not hard at all for me to believe that his thorn in the flesh might have had to do with pain. Maybe chronic pain. But regardless of the specific nature of that thorn in the flesh, Paul's writing about it because he wants to remind us that our body's weakness is an opportunity for us to experience God's power. Okay, So that's the take-home message for the rest of us. And I experienced that in the days leading up to and following my bypass surgery. It came in the form of love and support from my family and friends in a way that I had never felt before. You know, most of us probably most of the time are on the giving end. And wow, to be the recipient of such incredible love and comfort was overwhelming and so humbling. And it's also, it was also a result of the peace that Jesus says he's already given us. I have given you, 
we feel like sometimes we have to stay on our knees and just beg God to give us the peace of Christ. He's given it to us. Maybe it's our turn now to accept it, right? Well, the challenge for all of us is to take the comfort we receive when these jars of clay break down a little bit and turn it into comfort that we are providing to others then when they are suffering. All right, so in presenting our bodies holy and acceptable to God, we balance pursuing health and embracing life with joy and gratitude with embracing life with joy and gratitude as it is given to us, as we encounter it. Do you hear that? So we're going to pursue health, but we're going to accept life as well as we encounter it. Our pursuit of health is not going to become idolatrous. I came across a phrase that I want to share with you, and it was a phrase that was stuck in the middle of a poem written by W.H. Alden, and the poem is Atlantis. If you ever want to read a really cool poem, you might want to look up Atlantis. But here was this phrase tucked right in the middle of it, and I couldn't get past it. It's a brilliant, brilliant phrase. And as I read it, and it had nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but as I read it, I thought, wow, what a great phrase for us. There are times in life when we can no longer run. And I don't mean that physically, but you know what I mean. There are times in life when we're not even sure we can walk. Maybe the goal at those times is to stagger onward rejoicing. Wow. In fact, you might even think when you first look at that, well, that's ridiculous. That's a, maybe it's ridiculous and impossible for everybody but Christians. I don't know. But it has become a phrase that I'll never forget. Stagger onward rejoicing. Maybe that's a perfect example of how we present these bodies as living sacrifices. Finally, implication number three, and this is a real short one. We move our bodies toward others rather than away from them. We pursue a health orientation. We accept that we are jars of clay. And we move these bodies towards others instead of away from them. When Scripture talks about our bodies, it almost always does it in terms of function. What we're supposed to do with them. And they were created to do good works, right? These bodies were created to do good works, and that nearly always takes us towards other people. We are hardwired for relationship. We're just starting to discover this. We see it in people who isolate themselves. We see it in people who have unfortunately been forcibly isolated from others with devastating physical and mental consequences. We know that we are hardwired in the brain for relationships. And one of the things that we can do that presents our bodies as holy and acceptable is to move these bodies towards others. As a side, we've discovered, you'll like this little tidbit of research, it has nothing to do with anything really. We've discovered that it takes the average college student 21 milliseconds That's really, really fast, okay? 21 milliseconds to begin to adapt her behavior 
to those of her friends when she comes into a, a social setting. It starts by mimicking breathing patterns. <laughs> right? Who knew? <laughs> but we start adjusting our breathing pattern to the people that we're associating with. And then it moves from there to mimicking their smiles and, and their facial expressions. We are hardwired for relationships. It's all mostly unconscious. Well, as we move our bodies into relationships, we discover that our experience and our understanding of health becomes less self-centered, and it begins to broaden. Health is envisioned as communal, not just individualistic. As we discover the health of the other affects my health and vice versa. I am affected by your health because I am mind, body, and spirit. And I am in relationship with you. So we begin to see health in a new way. And eventually, I think our goal would be that Christ's spirit moves us from willing our own health exclusively to willing the health of others. What does that look like? Well, it could be a lot of things. But maybe for some of us, instead of just seeking to improve and raise others' health, we actually are called to radically transform the living conditions for those who are less fortunate. It certainly means that at times we may be called on to will health for individuals who are no longer able to will it for themselves. That was my journey with my mother, who died after years of battling Alzheimer's. That we come alongside and say, fine, I will will health for you, whatever that might look like. I will do what I can to help you thrive. Okay. <clears throat> Certainly, it helps us fulfill Philippians 2.4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. <clears throat> so the third point helps us understand that our bodies become holy Ah, okay. As we, it's, it's up there. But as our, our bodies become holy, as we move from an ornament perspective to an instrument perspective, we use them as instruments for His glory. So life is full of paradox, and the Christian's life is no different. I would suggest that we are called to acknowledge the significance and the insignificance of the body. And I'm sorry, but just live with it. <laughs> Thanks, that's really helpful, right? But that's exactly what I wrestle with each day. What does it mean to recognize the significance of the body? And what does it mean to recognize the insignificance? That is where you try to live. As we seize moments throughout our day to offer our bodies to God in gratitude as living sacrifices, our bodies become transformed from objects that we seek to glorify to instruments that glorify Him, and that's exactly what they were created for.